Hey everyone, on today's episode of Noon, I am excited to introduce you all to an exceptional individual and good friend of mine, Ryan, who is a firefighter and a nurse. His passion for sharing his stories comes from a genuine desire to pass on his experiences to the younger generations, hoping to inspire and educate them. In both roles, he has encountered numerous challenges and his dedication to learning from each experience makes him a true role model. Ryan also discusses the support he found within his fire department, who have helped him cope with both the trauma of personal life events and difficult calls. Join us for a thought-provoking and engaging conversation as Ryan shares his adventures, lessons learned, and an unwavering passion that drives him to serve and protect others. Let's get started. All right, Ryan, thank you so much for joining me on the 911 Nonsense podcast today. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. I really appreciate that you reached out to me. Um, You had told me that you wanted to share your story, so let's kind of jump into that. Okay. Um, Well, first of all, my name is Ryan, and um, I've been a paramedic since 1999. I'm going on 24 years of experience. Um, In that experience with just being a paramedic provider, I worked in the rural setting and the local metro setting. Um, doing the transports, um, moved into the county fire department in about 2002, 2004, moved into the metro department. After moving into the metro department, I survived nursing school somehow, I don't know how, but um, was able to successfully work in that profession for a short period. Got a lot of respect and a lot of perception on that. So yeah. I didn't know you were a nurse. Yes, ma'am. How many years did you do that? So I'm still licensed to this day, but I haven't been working for, I don't know, know how long. But um, I worked critical care ICU for about four years in one of the local hospitals. So I knew you were smart. I just didn't know how smart. <laughs> I try not to try not to lead or not, or try not to let that out too much. Not you know? too much. How about you? You're probably a nerd, huh? Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I just been working locally in the area fire department since 2004. Got 19 years of experience or actually it's a total of 21 years of fire department experience. So we're a little bit long in the tooth. Sure. So. Any plans on retiring? Yes, absolutely. Um, I can say this, that uh, it's one of those things that is rapidly approaching. It's one of those obstacles that has caused me anxiety. Sure. But um, there's good and bad to everything. So got to take out the good and, or, you know, get the good out and do away with the bad and just kind of move forward. So that's kind of how I operate. Oh, that's really cool. And it sounds like you've got a lot of uh, options when you do retire from the fire department, especially with your paramedic license and then with a nursing license as well. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll so see. those <laughs> days might be numbered, but that's okay. I'll be I'll be good with it. So. Do you Are you wanting to remove yourself from medicine altogether? <sighs> that is a question that I struggle with daily. But the reality is, at least for me personally, and I don't know that, I think some people can share in this, but other people may not be able to. But a lot of my profession and my perception on how I conduct myself in our profession is this is not what I do. This is who I am. So it makes it very hard for me to separate myself. But that day has to come because I'm an old man playing a young man's game. Yeah. And that's the reality of it. And that is kind of that is kind of scary when you're getting to that age and you're seeing Unfortunately, in in our line of work, you know, when people get out of the job, they kind of get lost. Yeah, and I've talked to a handful of retirees that have been really pivotal and guiding me in that direction. And the other part of it is, um, at least from the fire department side, one thing that I do understand now is that, like, 
if you're not ready to leave, don't leave. You know, just because you have 20 or 25 years of service or whatever. I mean, we got guys that have been there for a long time. And, you know, they and if you're still loving the job and you're providing for your community and you're doing it for the right reasons and you're capable of doing it, then you should. And, well, that's my perception. So that's my plan right now. So that's what I'm going to do. Well, thank you for your service, man. That's oh. It's awesome. It's There are two kinds of people in this service. You're either in it for the community or you're in it for yourself because it's a job, yeah. right? And a lot of people treat it as just a job. In my opinion, there's nothing wrong with that. You can treat it as a job because it is a job and not everybody has that calling to do it, to save lives. You know, it's no different than working at like McDonald's. You know, they were essential workers during COVID too. Right. And (laughs) (laughs) I thank them for their service all the time because without that service, I couldn't do my service. That's right. I got to run on coffee. So that's right. (laughs) That is a good one. So what made you reach out today, man? So, you know, uh, overall, my years of experience that I have, uh, I've noticed a generational difference because we have a, a, a next generation of, uh, like, honestly, the the eye-opener experience was when one of my rookies was one of my daughter's high school friends. So oh, that, is that, a, that is a big was one. eye-opening for me. Really good guy, really respectful. And I was like, all right, you know, it's now it's not just about providing service to the community. We got to look at the next generation. And I definitely have a handful of lessons, well, at least a couple of lessons that I want to share with uh, everyone today on, you know, just some things that I think that I took away that I would like to pass forward and sure. just so that they can get through and cope and, and not, you know, maybe avoid some of the mistakes that I made along the way. Okay. And uh, let's jump into the mistakes. Well, I would like to jump into one of the fondest memories. Sure. Let's do it. But it has to do with a level of tragedy. Okay. Um, this tragedy will always shake me to my core. So if I get a little shaken up, my apologies. No, it's but okay. what happened specifically to me when I worked for the transport agency was I had an unexpected tra- tragic event with my mother. My mother wow. committed suicide. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Awful, awful situation. But how would someone extrapolate good from that? So the day that it happened, I was snowboarding. I got home. And I was living with two other people that were working the same place of employment. So everybody that was there understood our profession, understood the tragedy, level of tragedy. So they were all awesome. But my roommate had to deliver that news to me. So that was one issue. The other issue is my other roommate that came home, he comes home with a sack full of money. And he hands this to me. He says, they took a collection for you. That's one of the hardest things I've ever had to accept, but sure. like cathartic in a different way. Yeah. And I learned so many lessons from that, but it really showed me, we talk about family in our profession all the time. Yeah. Come on now. Like there's no better family than that. That is family. Know? And people um, don't realize that coming from the outside, you know, that this is, I've had to tell my wife multiple times, you know, you're my wife, but I have a work wife or I have a work husband or I have a work family that I also have to help and deal with, you know? Yeah. And, you know, that I was really young in my career at that point. So when that happened to me, it took me to a level that I was like, wow, this is this is really where you belong. But there's some other lessons that I learned. And one of those lessons was that there's a split second difference between being on the receiving end of tragedy and being somebody that's a provider. Yes. And that's huge when you start thinking about it from the level of a provider. Because now, you know, any call that we respond to, that could be us. That could be um, your neighbor. That could be your friend. That could be your mother or father. And it doesn't matter what age you're at or what 
what time frame in your career you're in, yeah. you, it literally can get dropped on you anytime. Exactly. So when I realized that, it kind of helped me evolve as a provider to at least take a step outside of what we're there to immediately uh, help with and help the family and make make them a focal point of my care, not just a patient, but answer questions, providing a little bit higher level of customer service. You know? Sure. So... Um, and then putting them at ease or just discussing what you're seeing and why you're see- why your concerns are. And that kind of seems to help uh, family members adjust to whatever the situation is. Now, not all the time, but it helps them. So that was one huge lesson that I took away. Um, one thing that definitely still strikes a nerve, like one of the guys is, uh, I think it was a dispatcher, and I forget his name, but his wife worked for the travel agency. And... Uh, went for a travel agency that got me on the plane out that night like she was like when do you want to go i got this flight this flight this flight we can have you there before sunrise tomorrow morning so the situation was dire so that was another big powerful thing for me and then um last but not least going through all that stuff the funeral the family getting back to work um but a few days later i can't leave this out but uh, i did meet my wife who we've been together since that moment. So that so was, you met your wife through a tragic event. Yeah, in the aftermath of tragedy, um, her and I just ended up connecting, and we've been together for 23, 22 years. I don't know. She I hope she doesn't hear that part. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> she, she in was the there. Medical field also. No, no, okay. no, 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 no. Just happened. Uh, just a coincidental meeting, and uh, we were just very upfront with each other about each other's situation, and it just it's been. Uh, it's been a good ride. So, and we still continue to this day. So there's a lot of good that came from that. That's good. But the self-resilience that I got from it, the belonging of family, like the tangibility of what those words mean in our profession. Yeah. you can't put a price on it. And it still continues on to this day. I see it all the time in the fire department. I see it all the time amongst nurses, amongst uh, um, police, like it's all over. So I think, when the younger generation that's coming up like this is what you belong to like people were here before you people will be here after you doing the job yeah so understand that embrace that and do nothing but your best because that's what everybody deserves right yeah and you've been in it for a while you've gotten to see it evolve in some pretty crazy ways right oh absolutely um you know from the times of uh you know before APD had their DOJ stuff, before, you know, just the evolution from the relationships between fire department and ambulance. And and our system is so unique in that we interact with so many different agencies that those working relationships are, in my opinion, essential. Um, And it's essential for just the public and a good, solid, you know, flawless working relationship, understanding um, the roles of what an ambulance medic is going to be faced with versus a fire department versus medics going to be faced with versus a nurse that's going to be receiving that patient. So I do possess I, what, I, what I would consider a unique set of eyes. So having worked on all those areas, but it's definitely um, watching that evolution, seeing those, seeing our department medics and the suppression guys mesh in a way that is definitely becoming a lot more cohesive, a lot more um, 
just a lot more camaraderie is, camaraderie is present. And that's amongst all agencies, not just within yes. my department, you know. That's good. That's good to hear. I know I miss my ambulance days. I don't miss working on the ambulance, right? Because we just, a lot of time, we got the shit beat out of you. But I miss seeing you guys. I miss the camaraderie. And coming from the ambulance side with the fire department, it took like two or three years before the guys were finally like, yeah. Oh, hey, Sam's here. Hey, yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. like Sam. You Once know? <laughs> we, oh, man. And honestly, you know, it kind of, to me, it kind of makes calls uh, a lot more fun because you don't know who you're going to get. And I don't care who shows up. Um, it's always like, hey, how can I help you? What can I do for you? You're like, okay, this is what I got going on. This is what I'm thinking. Um, and, like, I'm, I might be the most senior medic on scene, but I'm still wanting to be a student of my craft and, and be better. So when... I hear some new ideas or different ways to skin this cat, whatever it is. I'm all ears just because sure. there's always a way to improve. Yeah, so and there's always things that are changing, right? Evidence-based medicine practices these days, or it's like literally every other day. Oh, yeah. You're doing something differently. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. As long as we're keeping up with it. <laughs> right. Exactly. And there's, there, yeah, there has been, like, I mean, I guess when I first started, we were talking about Bertillium, and, and we, that's, no, not today. No. Yeah. So, but, yeah, I've been, I've seen evolution, I guess. Right. You know? And at the same time, something like Levafed, right? Oh, it, we, yeah. it was leave fed, leave them dead. dead exactly. And now we use Levafed for everything, mostly sepsis, but it's such a neat drug. The tools that we have today are... Like, I would say there's at least 10 tools that we have in our protocols today that were not present back in 2000. They just right. weren't. It just didn't exist. And uh, it's like uh, to keep up with it is one thing. But when I talk to some of my friends that I went to medic school with, like some of them work in Denver, some of them work in Oregon, that we're really, they're really not they don't have the capability. Like they don't have the kind of protocols we have. You know? Oh yeah. No, especially in New Mexico, yeah, the so, protocol, the, our scope is huge out here. Yes. And I think that's really a testament, not just to um, our profession, but the capability of what paramedics, at least in New Mexico can do and what we're entrusted with. So I think that's pretty powerful and I'm, and I'm proud to be a part of it. Sure. You know? yeah. I'm sure uh, maybe mass pants will come back. Well, <laughs> oh, man, have you ever wore a pair of those? Uh, yes. We'll talk about that another time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mass pants are right? always the running joke. Oh, man. They get the terrible part of it. Dude, yeah, good times. Interesting stuff, that's so for it's, sure. It's, when you told me your story about your mom, you had actually describe that as your fond one of your fondest memories which is interesting right and especially listening to your perspective so i'm kind of afraid to ask what like one of your oh, worst yeah. memories is yeah here we go let me take a deep breath because sure. this one's always going to be tough for me but um what i wanted to do is paint a little bit of a picture of where i was at life because i think where we are in life will impact um, how we're going to react. For sure. I completely and, agree with that. Um, so when this call took place, I think my first daughter was born within two or three months. So I'd become a new parent, which is a new role and what most would consider a milestone in life. Okay. And of course, we're going to be talking about a horrible tragedy of a child. Yeah. And that's just how it is. Big deep breath. Sorry. No, it's okay. Take your time. That's um, why we're here, man. So the guys that I went in with... They're all top notch, and that's a part of the positive that I take away from this. But um, it was a normal shift, and the call comes in as a fall, but the priority of that call was a delta call. So, so and delta means extreme. You yeah, know, extreme there's fall. life. Life is in question. Yes. 
So when I got in the truck, and I think it's important with my crew, I had a couple new guys or newer guys, and I just happened to be the medic with the most experience that day. Didn't mean I was I was not an officer at that time. I wasn't the guy in charge. It just happened to be, I guess, what we would call leading from the rear type of thing or mm-hmm. just giving direction. And uh, my hat's off to my guys based on listening to me and doing what we did in the moment. Really, you know, regardless of the outcome, still kind of like one of those moments where everything meshed together the best that it could despite the outcome so uh on the way to call dispatch comes over the air and they change the coding from a 17 which is classified fall to a 27 so that's a really weird like why is this happening so a 27 is a it's a shooting shot wound yes so when that took place i remember going okay this is what like all right now the stakes are a little bit higher. The intensity level, just getting that information before you even walked in the door, has gone from what I would consider a bad fall as like a set seven or an eight. So you know you're going to walk into a tent, but you don't know what you're going to, what you're going to walk into. Yeah. So um, I remember when we got out of the truck, there's not a whole, I've been, bits and pieces of this has been kind of suppressed, so I don't remember everything. But I remember getting out of the truck and we walked in in a single file kind of like a SWAT team would enter or something like that. Were the cops on scene already? Yeah, okay. they were there. And uh, so it just had happened that when we walked in, I happened to be second or third. I'm okay. not sure where I was. But when we were fine, when we were taken to the patient, um, I just remember seeing, see, seeing something that you just can't unsee. So I don't want to get too descriptive on that. But it was around a four-year-old child and he had a lot of blood coming out of the back of his head and we're like okay so you know i was a little dumbfounded but the two things that i do remember walking in is that there was a firearm in the room with him and somehow the firearm went off and we don't know we just know that it went off i'm like okay fine when got into the room the kid was still breathing still moving and in that moment i just knew that we can't be here. No. Nothing we're going to do is going to change anything. But this kid is breathing and he's moving. And we need to get out of here and go to the hospital. So I looked at my officer and he was like, all right, Ryan, let's go. Like we put a trauma dressing on, put the kid. I can't even recall if we transported the local transport agency or if we transported our own rescue. I don't even remember that. Um, I remember we getting to the hospital and I remember getting patient, turning over to patient care and taking a step back and automatic nausea. Like, okay, you're processing something heavier. I've never, I had had other child trauma experiences in my paramedic career, but that particular episode shook me. Now now I know it's because of where I was at in life. I had just become a parent. So now there's a nerve that's present that I had never had before. Mm Um, I had to remo- remove myself from the trauma room. Um, I, the symptom, the symptom that I was having was I would close my eyes and see my daughter's face, and then open my eyes and see this chaos. Yeah. And that was just repeating, repeating, repeating. So I took myself out of the environment and went to go catch my breath. So I was outside trying to choke back the tears, and it just outflowed, just huge. And I had never had this experience before, so I was kind of like, why am I crying? Like, 
you know, like, come on now. Like, you don't why understand why you're I don't processing this. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, man, are you serious right now? Like, okay. Um, and then my guy's like right there. Are you okay? Are you okay? Like, no, I'm not okay. Like, not okay. It was hard um, because of this newfound nerve. And what my um, officer, you know, he gave me a hug. And I talked to him just last night about this event. And he was like, you know what? In that moment, like, that kid was no longer a patient to me. That was a family member. And he was like, that was what I, my breaking down did that for him. So, and he had a son at that age, or not that age, a little bit older, but Mm -hmm. most of us that were on that scene, I would say at least half of that crew were parents already. So we were affected in a different way. My unique circumstance was I just happened to be a first time new parent. So Mm -hmm. I just wasn't prepared. And I don't think that there's any way that we can ever prepare, but understanding that that can become a visceral experience through like your body, your emotions and everything. Um, it was it was huge for me. And uh, there was a lot of growth that came from it. Uh, it kind of sounds kind of weird to say that there was growth that came from such a horrible experience. Not at all. But number one, you know, like I said, like I've been falling back, my guys were there, which was awesome. Uh, some concepts that I developed after that particular event was, um, I could tell you after that call, we called the chief. I went home that night. Good. I was I was like, no, I'm not capable of taking care of anybody else. At least I think I went home for 24 hours or maybe like a night. But um, there was symptoms that happened that night that were rough. But, you know, we survived it. And my wife was pivotal in that. She is, you know, right there by my side. So she helped me get through that. But uh, understanding that my level of capability was compromised and there was no reason for me to continue on that shift until I was able to process that. So I did that. Um, Some other things that kind of developed out of that was um, oftentimes when we respond to these calls, we talk about saving lives all the time, but my personal perception now is we're buying time. You're saying similar to what Rob said, you know, we don't actually save lives. We buy time. We buy time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it happens to where that time's already spent before you show up. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, some of our, in that experience, there was a bit of a knee-jerk reaction, but just realizing that we weren't going to do anything for that kid who was still breathing and still moving, like we had to do something, and that's what we chose to do, right or wrong. We did what we could to give that kid a fighting chance. And as tragic as it turned out, it was definitely one of those things that I was like, oh, okay, you know, this is really your role. You know, this is a part of what we do. And it will, you know, unfortunately happen again. Um, But that was a a hard thing. The other hard thing that I realized, well, I don't want to say it's a hard thing, but something that I took from it is that, you know, as parents and that my heart goes out to that family. To this day, I feel that pain. Um, this is one of my deepest scars, but a bad decision doesn't make a bad person, right? So, like, it's just one of those things realizing that as much as I can't imagine what they were, how this affected them, um, we were affected too. And some positives that came out of it is understanding that concept of time. Right. Um, some other positives that I took away from it personally is it just made hold of my kids a little bit more special and then stepping up more as a parent 
and then also being a better husband and that sort of thing. Right. Those things are the things that I kind of took from that experience. Well, how you, you had know. mentioned how growth is kind of weird, right, coming from a call like this. But I, I kind of disagree with you because I think the ability to grow from any call, bad, good, easy, hard, complicated, whatever, the ability to grow from anything that makes you a better not only a provider, but a better family person, a better, and that's your family at home and your family for your crew, because now you have that set of resources that you can recall. And now you know to help, how to help those future, like you've been saying, you know, all of those future cadets, those crew members that you're going to have, those partners that you're going to help raise to be better providers also. So I think any growth in any situation is a good thing. Yeah. And and I agree with your, uh, with your assessment on that, absolutely, because um, you're right. It, it is anything that that can force growth. But I guess we digress. My my the things I took away from these particular events in my life, um, those were the things that I was like, okay, like you really something bad's going to happen to me. Let me at least figure out some level of positive and apply that. Sure. And that's really just the basics, the bare bones of what. It's blueprinted in my DNA. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. You know, that's but, good. It's a it's a good mentality to have. Yeah, and I think uh, well, um, there's one other thing that I kind of wanted to um, at least give voice to was uh, you know I think sometimes we kind of lose that perception. Um, you know, I think you know like like you were saying like ambulance is hard to work for. Like that's a hard place to do business for at least for people that are in in this for. What's the life expectancy of a paramedic more than what five years? And then there's some people that you know, are doing I keep this for twenty different plus. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what that science <laughs> is saying now, and I'm sure it's uh, different from what I um, from what it was when I started. But having, I guess, that perception and remembering those things helps me to continue doing what I do. Right. And if that's the message that I can convey to the guys that are coming up on the next generation, like, yeah, do it this way. Mistakes I made along the way included negative coping strategies. Um, I think we've all had a little bit of a battle with alcohol or whatever your poison is in that day. That was mine for a minute, but quickly understanding um, that, like, the tragedy with my mother kind of kept me a little bit away from that she struggled with that so that was one of those things but you know figuring out what strategies work for me and figuring out um that you know there's a time and a place that okay like it's you know you might be working overtime or you might be doing whatever it is your shifts your trades or just working your regular shifts but there's a time to detach and be able to flip that switch from being at home and not being the paramedic or the firefighter or the nurse or the cop or whatever it is you're doing in public service um to be home and just be you know dad or husband be present exactly yeah be present when you're at home and it is hard it's hard to detach Mm, and i had this conversation with uh i believe it was robin you know you get beat into almost so hard like everything's an emergency and that made it hard for me to go into restaurants because now I'm keeping an eye out for everybody that's choking and that made it hard for me to be okay when I went out with family you know to a museum or to a movie or whatever like that you have to physically work on being present with your family or that can be detrimental to your own personal relationships and I like how you talked about where you were at your time of life having affected your call, right? Because that is something that we don't even often think about is 
keeping a good work and life balance, right? They tell you all the time, make sure that you're taking care of yourself. How can you take care of yourself when you're working two, three, four extra overtime shifts in a week? Because, and I get it, right? Financially, you're trying to make those bills work. You're trying to get that paid off, but you cannot take care of yourself if you're in that situation. Uh, You're absolutely right, Sam. And the other thing that I kind of, the other thing that I I started learning along the way is that what what are my I think everybody has their personal symptoms like you were saying like when you go into a restaurant you're paying attention to your surroundings and we all have a heightened level of self awareness but so for me some of the I do I do share in that like I do not like sitting with my back to the door in any kind of a public venue just period it's just I'm I don't know why this is the way it is um, but some other symptoms that I've noticed along the way. Um, specifically related to my sleep patterns if I'm having trouble sleeping Um, uh, specifically related to my irritability patterns Um, and you know I'm one of the things that helps me is a is a fitness regimen that's not for everybody but that's what I prefer that's my one of my coping strategies but knowing those symptoms for me personally and knowing okay all right it's you know you don't need to work overtime this week. Or yeah. You don't need to be, or, you know, like you got to tell people no for trades or whatever. Um, I would say one of the biggest things that helps me, and I don't know that everybody can do this, but one of the things that helped me along the way is at some point, I kind of remembered I reached a, um, I want to say everybody has that burnout phase or that, uh, that breaking point where work becomes something that's causing anxiety. Um, and for us at the fire department, we can do a, a few trades here and there, and we can figure out a way to get a month or two off of work. And uh, what I've learned is that do, for me doing that at least once a year or once every other year is helpful because when I'm off of work in that time frame, whatever that time frame is, whether it's summer or winter, um, I'm just, I'm not a paramedic. I'm not. Like I am not present. That's good. I'm home or doing honeydews or whatever it is. I'm just that whole switch is flipped to off. And now um, what I've also learned is that when I get to the end of that time and it's time to go back to work, I'm excited to go back to work. That's good. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm like ready, you know, and, and it's one of those things that has helped me along the way. So, you know, I will say, yeah, getting there. out of the ambulance for me was a big eye opener because when I left, I was having nightmares every day, and it. I'm so sorry. Probably for about four months after that, it just continued before it finally started giving me a break. Oh really? You know, and then yeah, and I was working at the hospital at the time, but I was only able to work three days a week, so I went from working two, three full time jobs now to working at the hospital where I'm being only allowed to work three days a week. And that, that forced me into a little bit of a separation. Oh, good. Which was good. Yeah, yeah I wasn't dealing with the, the patient population that I had been dealing with at the ambulance. And don't get me wrong, I loved my job, right? We have those super exciting calls that we go to. We're, we're superheroes. We do like to save lives, even if that's not what we're always doing. But yeah. getting that separation allowed me to really take a step back and progress onto the goals where I am now, where I'm flying. Awesome. And... I've only had one job for the last four years. And for people that knew me, knew that I was working all the time. Oh, Often, man. you know, 120, 150 hours a week between three or four different jobs. Right. I think, yeah, we're only, sometimes we're our own worst enemy yes. when it comes to that. So, yes. yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, so now I, you know, with my work schedule, I, I get, uh, we're two on, two off, five on, five off. 
So every other week, I've got five days off. You guys hiring? <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> I'll send you the link later. <laughs> we um, are. We're talking about switching to 24s, which makes me a little, it does cause a little bit of anxiety for the 24s because I worry about rest time, so mm-hmm. your downtime. Because when you're in an airplane, there's a lot of, A, there's a lot of moving parts, right? The plane is constantly vibrating, which can be exhausting. The heat is, you know, can be, especially this time of year. We landed in Roswell the other night and it was still, you know, in the 90s at like two o'clock in the morning. It's hot. Even though the sun's not out, it's hot. And then you have all of the turbulence and so it can be exhausting. And then doing that for a 24 hour period where right now we're doing 12s and I get to come home every night. Oh, there you go. Almost every night. You know, sometimes we get stuck in places, but very rare so it's it's been nice that's good that's and really good yeah okay All and right. now when i'm doing things like hobbying such as <laughs> podcasting <laughs> this is almost like a second job oh you know, i imagine this is, so it's a it's another full-time tyler can attest to that he's editing episodes <laughs> takes about six hours to edit an episode oh wow yeah oh, so okay. it's it's a lot of work but it's fun and it's something that i choose to do yeah instead of having to do it now i choose to do it well um it's like i said uh before we really started engaging, like what you're doing is really, uh, to me, it's reaching a, a lot of people. Um, it's causing, um, I think people are taking notice. You know, we don't, we're not always going to, not everybody's going to have the answer, but maybe having these conversations will at least lead us to one. Right. You know, and um, that's a part of the reason why I was like, well, this is what I do that's worked for me. And I've been doing this for this amount of time. So, you know, let me share. And that yeah. was kind of why I and helping, reached out. And helping people find the resources yeah, if they absolutely. don't know where to go, exactly. you know, is is been one of the, the most super helpful parts, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, right on. <laughs> I'm, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're doing great. Doing great work. Thanks. So. I appreciate it. Uh, so getting on to a little bit of a lighter side, have you done anything dumb? <laughs> have job? I done anything dumb? Gosh. So like I said, I am the, uh, um, I want people to learn from my mistakes. And I have done lots and lots of uh, not the smartest things. <laughs> um, gosh, you know, my, my uh, earlier in the years, I was definitely not, um, I would say there was a, a maturity challenge. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you know, uh, whether it be with my coworkers or um, whether it be with uh, even, you know, certain patients that you build rapport with, you can kind of maybe, you know, joke a little bit with. Sure. But I mean, as far as some of the um, not so smart things that I've, uh, I want to say that I've done, but maybe not so smart things that I've said. But a lot of something that I still do to this day, and it's, maybe it's not smart, but you don't know, I'll let you guys be the judge of it. But you know, we oftentimes get called for falls, right? And one of the things I kind of lead with to kind of break the ice is I ask the person on the ground, like, okay, who pushed you down? And they always get a chuckle out of that one. That's good. But, um, you know, I guess, uh, and some, you know, there's always like some of the stories that have occurred to me i just like i was like some of the things that have happened and i'll uh, yeah i'll I'll share this story real quick it's a it's a shorter one and it's i promise you it's a lot lighter than what i've uh, just disclosed (laughs) it's all good dude but i have never experienced this up until about a year ago and what specifically happened on this call was this poor girl was in a club and somebody put something in her drink and then she was found naked somewhere now there's some unique perceptions and circumstances surrounding this event I don't know how this girl had her cell phone because she didn't have any clothes on, mm-hmm. but I guess they left her with their cell phone. That was at least nice, I guess. And this girl was also hearing impaired. 
which presents a unique communication obstacle, right? It does, yes. So, you know, the cops happen to be present, the family happens to be present, and everybody is very visually upset. So I was like, okay, like, all right. So, but you can't just, you know, normally when someone's got a hearing impairment, it becomes break out a piece of paper and write. Um, what, <laughs> what took place for me was she had an app and the app calls into somebody who understands sign language oh, and then they great. speak what's going on. But I kind of developed a little frustration out of this situation because the person that I was on FaceTime with trying to get information would not stop translating like i had to say listen i need you to talk to her can you know this is this i need to get some information i know she's upset but uh, let's take a break for a second yeah like sure. i need you to stop moving your hands <laughs> and that <laughs> kind of became my uh, obstacle to overcome so finally we were able to get that and, or get her to communicate and figure it all out but i remember sometimes i think probably one of my not so shiny moments is I will verbalize a thought that I don't intend to verbalize like, Oh, that accidentally sleep slipped out, you know? And I remember thinking, is this really happening? And then I hear a voice and it was my partner and my partner's like, and it's three o'clock in the morning. He's like, yes, it really is. So that like shocked me. Like, Oh, uh, <laughs> I, I said that. Sorry. Said okay. it out loud. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't intend for that to happen, but yes, that was, um, one of that, and yeah, that just happened one recently. So, fortunately, the girl was fine. So that was a just a positive takeaway from it. But it's definitely one of the, uh, I think, um, some funny things that happen with our job. Like, I mean, really, like, who would imagine something like that happening? Sure. And then you're like, really, like, and then we're called to address the situation, and it just makes for some inter- interesting challenges. So, yes, I think sometimes, or I should say, oftentimes, EMS is kind of the go-to, like. If yeah, there's the catch all, right? Yeah, if there's no answer to anything else, even if they're not medically, like if there's no medical problems, we're still going to be the catch all because it's like, well, the cops don't know what to do, so they just call yeah, for an and, ambulance. Yeah, and I think that's a part of our uh, part of our system that's evolving. Um, I think uh, we're trying to figure out different ways to take heat off of fire department and um, transport. And I've, I've seen our administration think outside the box and continue to do so. Um, and work with um, the other agencies to, order, to figure out better ideas. I mean, like Uber really is a godsend when you think about it. Like yeah. we can solve a lot of problems with that. There's countless numbers of programs in the city. I don't know what they are. Just saying that like we didn't have community paramedicine when I first started and now it's a thing on multiple agencies. And, and I think that's evolved thing. into Absolutely. such a weird like Oh man, community paramedicine for me was so exciting because I was like, cool, we're going to start doing house calls and we get to start responding to people's houses for things that maybe didn't come across as super emergent, you know, and it's evolved into this much more dynamic role where they're responding for frequent flyers. That's one thing absolutely I agree with, but the other thing that I... I, th- I at least I've picked up along the way is that when we are able to develop a relationship, like most of the time, 911 calls, it's what, 10, 20, 30 minutes, maybe a little bit more than an hour, and then you never see that person again, or you might catch a follow-up from a, a, a medical director. Sure. But that community EMS concept really allows people to kind of provide in a different level to get into people's lives and to affect change. And uh, yeah, watching that develop is not just 
personally powerful for me because it's such a like, oh, okay, like now I have a resource. Now it's not just here. Let me put you in the circle of the emergency room. Sure. Um, now it's we can provide you a resource to actually get to the root of your problem. Right. Now, like there's going to be successes and failures within that. But just having that resource, hey, I can't, yeah, can't speak uh, enough about it. They're doing really good work. At least I know our, uh, um, with the department I work for, yes, they're doing great work. Yeah, I didn't even realize that they had community medics in your position, which is cool. How does that work? Are they charging insurance? Um, I I really don't have concrete yes or no answers because okay. I honestly don't know. I hear that they are. I know that we're starting to do that for the transport side of things too as well. So, But I'm not sure. But at the end of the day, I believe that they are. But the great thing about that is... You know, with the fire department is in general or public service agency. So working for our city, we those guys have access to programs that like the normal street paramedic just isn't aware of. Sure. You know, and we're you know um, access through insurance companies, case managers, social workers, all these different programs that like I'm sorry, we, we definitely don't get taught that in paramedic school. No. Yeah. <laughs> so um, those are some things that they're able to affect, which is super. It's just awesome in my eyes and my personal opinion. Um, yeah, they're doing great work. Yeah, the community paramedics are working uh, very similar to social workers, which is really cool. And, and it gives people the opportunity to do things if, like, maybe they go on light duty, right? If you get injured in the field, you can't do that anymore, but maybe you can do this. Or I know you guys have dispatches options as well. Yeah, it's definitely providing some different options to paramedics. And really, truth be told, I think it's the wave of the future for a lot I think we're in the baby phase yes. of that particular program, but listening to what we're doing and comparing what I'm hearing to what my friends are in Denver are doing and, and Oregon and all the other places, I'm like, oh, everybody's kind of catching on board. And the other part of it, I think it's affecting their per- profession as a whole because, you know, when we start comparing nursing to paramedic, you know, nursing's got a wide view of places that you can practice, right? Sure. And when you just speak about a paramedic most people think associated paramedic with an ambulance, an ambulance or a fire yeah. truck or you know so we're opening the doors to um opportunities and possibilities and it's definitely like i'm yeah i'm excited for those guys it's definitely fun to watch and that's now truth be told i'm just happy to be able to provide a little bit more service to okay I, let's get you to the hospital right now but let me enroll you in this program and somebody's going to reach out so this way we can get you some fall prevention or we can talk about some options that you might need, you know? Right. And you talked briefly, I think, I just, I feel like it's an important topic. So you had said, or you had mentioned that the fire department is kind of starting to charge for those transports. I think that is a necessity, right? Because how many times do we roll up and they're like, I want to go with the fire department because the fire department's free. Yeah. That's a, (laughs) that is a tumultuous topic. It is. Um, yeah, it's. I think it's long overdue in a couple different ways. It's one of those things that, I mean, like we're providing a service to the community, and you know, service costs. You know, it does cost. That's just you know, and we can't. I mean, I don't. I don't think that people realize how much it costs when you're calling, and you know, this. <laughs> I don't mean to downplay it, right? Say you break your toe, and you have access to a ride where you can get a ride to the hospital because it's not it is painful don't get me wrong i've broken a toe it is painful but it costs a lot of money to send that engine crew or the rescue crew on top of you know the transport company and it is a service and we're glad to do it 
but we're at a point now where the transport service is so overrun that they are constantly at level zero. And level zero means that there aren't any ambulances available in the city at that moment because they're all on other calls. Absolutely. Um, and I would definitely like to speak to that from a, a call point of view. Like if I'm coming across that now and it's forced me to develop uh, um, something that I use for people that are in low acuity and it's very clear, I just try to educate them because a lot of the community believes that if I hop in that ambulance, I'm going to get to the front of the line. And that's just the myth that is no longer, it doesn't, it doesn't exist anymore. No. And what I tell them is like, listen, we're happy to get you the transport, but it's not going to guarantee you a bed. And it may be a ex very expensive ride to a waiting room. And you will be financially responsible for that. You know, if you have insurance, I don't know the odds and ends of that, but I just, I'm just going to educate you on these are the bare bones minimum facts. And people oftentimes, okay, well, and then if you want, we can figure out other opportunities. I'll wait here with you for your parents to get here or your or your your uh, grandmother, grandfather, whatever the situation is. Sure. We'll accommodate them. But that's one of those things where as paramedics, we get the opportunity to pro still provide help, provide education, and, you know, still help them with our problem overall, you know? Yeah, that's, that's... I think it's, it's really cool that you talk about that. It's like you are providing a service that maybe isn't in our job description, right? But we still do it. I think one of my favorite calls ever was for a lady who could not, for the life of her, get her doctor to write a script for a glucometer. And she was diabetic. Oh, my Lord. And she didn't know what else to do. You know, she couldn't check her sugars without calling the fire department or calling the transport service. And I finally, I sat down with her, and it took probably about 45 minutes to an hour to get a hold of a provider that would write her a script. And I actually went through one of the local facilities, hmm. called a contact. Hey, I know you're on today. Here's what we've got. Do me a favor. This is the pharmacy that this patient uses. Um, this is when they can get there. Can you please send a script in for a glucometer? Oh, yeah. Nice. Sure thing. No problem. You know, and we were able to facilitate getting that piece of equipment for her, even though she couldn't do it herself. See, that's that kind of out, outside of the box thinking. That's the stuff that makes our providers a little bit like that. When you start thinking like that and like, and, and what, and your contact, was that like a friend of yours or? Um, it's just somebody, an acquaintance that I knew through working this job, right? There you go. Yeah. So I just, uh, when we are able to do that and affect change like that and still, you know, provide, that's the kind of service that like, I really like, I kind of get excited about. Yeah. That. You enjoy so, doing oh, it. Yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. Helping that, helping that person in a way that doesn't just involve driving the, the boo-boo bus. Right? right. Oh yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So. so we had talked a little bit about how yeah, you would talk to your therapist before you came in. Yeah. How was that experience for you? And why did you talk? Like, did you feel it necessary to do it? Or because you were afraid of, you know, coming on and sharing your personal experiences or? So first of all, I think therapy for is different from different people. And for me, my therapist is uh, like, if she wasn't my therapist, she'd be my friend. Oh, that's um, great. Like, there are very few professionals that are out there that truly can connect with a first responder in any capacity. And I've been fortunate enough to find one. Um, so when um, when I reached out to you, I knew that I wanted to share this with you, but I wasn't sure how it was going to come out, and I was afraid of it. That's just the reality of it. And even earlier, you can hear it in my voice. Like, it still bothers me to this day, but uh, those are bags that I've that I'm going to carry. I'm good with it. And understanding that is a part of it, but getting the sets and reps and talking about it 
um, does help me. But all and and what I think people need to remember is that people that are on your show are sharing experiences. That is actually reliving the trauma. Our yeah. brains don't know that difference. So and and that's why I still get choked up. Like that call happened over a decade ago. And it's like yesterday to me, despite the fact that my newborn child back then was probably months old. She's 15 now. So if that's going to put how this if that's going to put some tangibility behind my story and share with your listeners what people go through and communicate those experiences like it takes a lot of courage and so i knew that i wanted to do that but getting back to why talking to her about it um because she has a great way of getting me to see some things through different lights and that to me or at least processing the information that leads me down a positive path and i think personally just for my this is my opinion. That's the mark of a good therapist. That's the mark of what what somebody's really there to do to really help people. And that's I've been I've been blessed to find that. So I was yeah I definitely was like okay, I got to tell you I'm going to do this podcast, but this is what I'm going to share. Let's talk about it. She's like okay, let's go. So it was good. It was good. Yeah, I was telling you before. You know that this is you're actually not the first person to tell me that you did that, which is really neat i think that's if you have somebody that you can talk to like that and get you kind of prepped for something that in my opinion like this is a podcast this is just for hanging out you know and then people i'm blessed to have people coming in and sharing those experience and in that i'm also sharing some of my experience and that's cathartic for me um those good old days you know when we hang out on the scenes a little while longer you know after a, a car accident cleanup or you know, whatever, whatever we did and hanging out and getting to tell those stories and share those stories with people that was cathartic for me. So the getting to do this and relive some of these experiences, whether they're good or bad, and sharing the emotions of them is helping. Yeah. And I guess I think sometimes uh, an old friend of mine kind of taught me this or actually, you know, when we get fearful, he taught me a concept. He was like, when you're feeling like things are out of control, you kind of need to go into your three foot world. You need to just focus on what you can focus on and just take it one step at a time. One, one, you know, how do you eat an elephant one body at a time, like one thing at a time. And, um, the reason I'm kind of thinking in those terms is like just understanding that, like, if you go into your three foot world, oftentimes that kind of puts you on a small Island by yourself and sharing with I mean, we all know that we all have our own like in our profession we all know that we see bad things but listening to other people's story is like oh, okay like that island just got a little bit bigger sure that like i'm not alone on that and uh how did this person um actually i remember i'm not i'm not sure what her name was i think it was katie um one of the nurses that you interviewed mm-hmm. um i'm like yoga retreat that sounds like a great therapy <laughs> I, i'm in like i don't even do yoga but i yeah, I'd be willing to go to I can a get you place that in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I see you in the emergency room, I'll be like, hey, where, where's that retreat at? But um, sharing not just our bad, but like, hey, this is what I did to get me through it, and it worked. Or this is what I did. Don't do that. Sure. You know, like, okay, all right. <laughs> like, you know, so I think those are the uh, bonds that we develop as, as professionals. But I think mostly, I think the take home message is that, you know, you're not alone. And if you're struggling, you know, like you, you, there's somebody out there who's willing to listen. And now that we're, I mean, like our department's developing peer support. I think they have it to other agencies. That's a huge thing. Um, you know, or finding that therapist, you right. know, finding that person that you can connect 
connect with. And I think, you know, I mean, connections are powerful, right? So. And I've said this multiple times, you know, don't be afraid to fire your therapist. If you aren't, if you're not making the connection that you want, find somebody else. But at the same time, you're putting it on yourself. That is your, it is your responsibility to take care of yourself and to help yourself. Well, uh, how can we take care of others if we can't take care of ourselves, right? Exactly. You know? So what uh what piece of advice would you give to your younger self what piece of advice well um getting to uh my early immature years um i would definitely uh take, you know take the foot off the uh the gas on some of those things and i was just you know some in-house rough house antics that you know you you put a bunch of guys in the station and we'd get bored something's gonna get broken or something. <laughs> so that's really just kind of a, yeah i couldn't imagine that, that at all <laughs> but as far as um the advice that i would give my younger self is to enjoy the ride embrace the good with the bad you know knowing now what i know i'm like no like i honestly i think everybody with whatever your spiritual belief is people have a purpose and my purpose was to help people so i i in my dna i know that i would put on this planet to help people one way or the other and i'm capable of doing that and i guess i don't suck at it so i'm going to continue to do so so i would just you know enjoy the ride and take the good with the bad and know that you know recognize a bad day and you know if you don't need to be at work don't go to work yeah you know like hey like sometimes those mental health days are a lot more valuable than what we get them give them credit for and we yeah. get pto for a reason right yeah use it don't be afraid to use it exactly and you know i mean like bills will always be there work will always be there you know it's always gonna you know that stuff will take care of itself so i think when we get caught up in those stresses and you know, we're our own worst enemy. I got to get these bills paid for, so I'm going to work extra. But when I work extra, I get a bad flare-up of PTSD, and then we're we're dealing with that. So understanding that, that that's a cycle that exists, you know, and recognizing that. So, yeah, that's, yeah, that would be my advice. Awesome. Did you ever do anything that, like, you haven't lived down? People see you, and they still kind of make fun of you for it? Oh, yeah. So I... I... <laughs> Uh, in one of my ambulances way back when i started um most most people know right that diesel and gasoline don't mix very well oh (laughs) this poor girl (laughs) i you know i (laughs) at a young age i had never done anything with diesel before i didn't know that the nozzle was bigger on a diesel you know diesel fueling oh interesting so yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> on a gasoline ambulance, I was holding the diesel oh, <laughs> nozzle no. above because it didn't fit in the gasoline hole. So I was holding it and filling it that way. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so I was wow. like, well, I think it'll fit. It should fit. You know, my hat's off to you. You had to figure out a way to get that done. <laughs> yeah, I, did. I did figure it out. And then we started driving it and it was oh, making a bunch of noises. Oh, <laughs> man. That was a fun, that was a fun a good phone one. call to the supervisor. Um, I've, I have been present for some of those calls. Fortunately, it has not been me. I will say, <laughs> oh, yeah, here's one that I... um. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say this, and I thought I've lived it down because it's been so much time in between. But the second I say that, I say this, and whoever's listening is gonna be like, "Hey, remember that time?" And it's gonna come back to me. So, I was effectively able to have fender benders with a rescue, an engine, and a ladder all within the course of three months. So we're once a month. <laughs> I had a rough period there, so adding slump. <laughs> but um, that was back in my driving days, of course. But yeah, 
is why um, you're not a driver anymore. Yeah, it was like clearly time to promote. <laughs> <laughs> they, kind of, they told you you had to promote. They're oh, like, yeah. okay, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So, but yes, I was, and you know, fortunately, there was no nobody hurt. But honestly, even one of those, one of those uh, incidents with the engine happened to involve an ambulance with a patient in the back. So yeah, it was yeah. My that's, goodness, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we heard about that for a minute. Yeah, like I think that I think I got out of that. I think yeah, people stopped talking to me about that. We're 2023, uh, probably right before COVID that got forgotten. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was easy to so forget yeah, so COVID, yeah, right? so thank you, COVID. <laughs> <laughs> You're kind of slapping yourself here by bringing oh, it back up, right? huh? Oh yeah, so it is what it is. Did COVID affect you in any way? Um, yes, it did. You know, it's pretty eye-opening. Boots on the ground is boots on the ground, but in a pandemic, it's very eye-opening how some sickly these people are and understanding like, um, you know, I've I've seen working in the ICU setting, I was there for H1N1 and some of the other bad episodes with disease processes, but COVID really, for me, seeing it and from the field point of view and seeing how these sick, how sick some of these patients were is very scary and my uh, in-laws are, are immunocompromised mm-hmm. so contact with them and they're they're very much about their grandkids so contact with them i i really felt for them so that's how it felt for, for me because you know they're also my rocks when it comes to i got a situation can you help me and they come and help me out like no questions asked the other part of it was like now i i work i go out i'm boots on the ground and now I come home and I can't, you know, like fortunately we were able to get through it with, um, you know, because my wife was still working and that kind of pushed her into a change of careers, which was beneficial to both of us. But at the end of the day, it definitely affected our family and that. And my kids were like, hey, you know, they're kind of missing their grandparents and that sort of sure. thing. So that was one of the ways it affected me. But I would say like seeing how sick these people were um, and understanding the level, you know, the, mis- the mystery of it all. You know, like we didn't know what we didn't know. Um, truthfully, I think um, I think I probably had COVID right before the pandemic hit. <laughs> so, sick, yeah, yeah, I remember I getting sick it. and I was like, I never get sick. And then all of a sudden I was like, wow. And then, and then like I would say maybe two or three months later, like, oh, OK, everybody might have been yeah. like, yeah, that might have been that. So, you know, that's kind of that was my experience with it. And truth be told, like. Having uh, the staffing level, like, uh, I mean, we weren't, like, fortunately, we didn't have anybody uh, pass away from it, but people were getting sick. So staffing levels at that time was, like, we're already low staffing right now without COVID. Now you add COVID into that mix, and that, like, multiplied it times, you know, that staffing problem was multiplied like probably times 10 oh i'm sure that might be an exaggeration but we definitely had some struggles yeah so it was interesting so yeah and that's hard because what do you do with low staffing in a public service like that you know you just hope that people are gonna want that overtime money did you guys offer incentives uh no my department did not but like yeah i think for me personally i think i work 72 hours straight every shift for the better part of maybe four or five months wow so it was just like three days on three days off three days on three days off sometimes an 82 hour shift because that's our cap but yeah it was definitely it was a challenging time and fortunately i was at a slower station at that time so it wasn't you know it wasn't too brutal but other times we're still you know exposed after exposed like um you know i literally um 
getting home was like a decontamination process in my mm-hmm. own house. Yeah. So that was always, you know, like, okay, like leave a spare set of clothes in the garage so I can go in, shut the garage, this robe, you know, I'm surprised my wife didn't take a pressure washer to me. <laughs> <You're walking laughs> really thanks, she, thanks for not doing that. But uh, yeah, it was, it was uh, eye opening and quite, I, you know what, it'll be experience that I'll, never forget that's for i don't sure. think any of us in the in the medical field will forget covid oh, yeah. oh, even yeah. those of us that were affected you know a little more lightly than others oh yeah oh, um what's a, what's considered a slower station for you like how many calls are you averaging in a you guys do 48s is that yeah correct? we do 48s and uh when you're first promoted in our department you lose your seniority so when i was first promoted i worked at one of the stations along central and at that time it was not unheard of to run 37 40 over 40 calls a cycle. Yeah, in a 48-hour period. In a 48-hour period. So fortunately, our department has recognized the problem and and they're addressing it. So That's good. I can't imagine you guys going, you know, that's hard for everybody. I think that's hardest for the drivers, right? Because now you are responsible not only for you and your crew, but for everybody else around you while you're driving lights and sirens. Yes, and it's like um, that... This is really like you're really compromising safety with that. So, um, and, and that's why I, I do give credit to our department for realizing like, oh, we got to do something. We got to do something quick. And they have Good. by adding other units, which is definitely helping the situation. You know, when you compare that to running, uh, working at a slower station and there's, like there's good and bad to working a slower station because we're paid to be available. My dad used to get like, you don't really work. You're just going to hang out with your friends. Like, no, like I'm paid to be available for that 48 yeah, hour period and I will answer that call and do what needs to be done. But when it comes to working slower stations, like if there's not anything going on, then you're kind of left to your own devices, which is okay. You know, for me, I prefer to read or work out or something, but it becomes a different kind of challenge because it's easy to become complacent. Like, yes. you know, you got to break out your protocols and refresh that, you know, you might, you know, you might not see a code that year where if you're working along a busier station, you're going to see three codes in one cycle. So yeah. you will be more proficient. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's a different kind of challenge, but, um, you know, it's, it's, a. I guess I would describe it as both good and bad, depending on what you like. I personally, I I like to be busy enough. So I don't want to be at the slowest station in the city. I just, that's not my thing. I like to be at a station where it, it keeps me on my toes, but I'm able to not have chronic sleep disturbances. Sure. So that's kind of where, I, fortunately, where I've been able to land right now. So how many would you say you're averaging now in a 40, in a cycle? Uh, in a cycle, it's really hard to tell with what the cycle will bring or what the shift will bring. But we will range like 10 to 15 calls in 48, and then a busier can get up to the upwards of 30s. Um, with the station that I'm at now, I think that we're aver- like a rough day is uh, 24 calls maybe, and then... You know, that's uh, and then a, a lighter day, we have seen some shifts where, you know, 10 calls, you know. So. Right. And even like you said, 24, that's still one every one other hour. hour. Yes. Yeah, that's I mean, that's still fairly yeah. busy because in between that, you still have to eat, you still mm-hmm. got to shower, you still got to. Yeah, exactly. You still got to live, you know. Yeah, exactly. Oof. So that's. 
part of the gig, I guess. Yeah, that is part of the... Hats off to you, man, because <laughs> I don't miss those days. Uh, well, I, and I will say this. Like, um, moving to a lower slower station does al- allow for a little bit more chronic sleep. I think for me, when I was talking earlier about what my symptoms were um, and one of the things that I've suffered from or that we all suffer from is a, a chronic sleep deprivation. Mm-hmm. And that is... That's when things get sideways for me when I'm like tired on uh over the course of months and months and months that's where things start to spin out of control and so when I recognized that earlier in my career at the busy station I was like okay this is what's going on I need help with my sleep because the the other problem that I was suffering from was I would go home that first day and just be completely exhausted and I would keep myself up during the day but at night, I would be out at seven, and then my problem came at midnight because if something woke me up, I couldn't go back to sleep Ugh. the next day. Yeah, that's rough. So that was a struggle. But once I figured it out, and you know, there's plenty of some safe natural sleep aids that are out there that kind of helped me, and that was one of those one of those things that was I was able to fix myself with. So yeah, yeah. I forget how spoiled I am now. I like. And maybe it's an old age thing. I don't know. I, <laughs> being younger, you know, I used to function on two, three, four hours of sleep in a 24 oh, yeah. hour period. And now I get fucking pissy. If you wake oh, me up before eight dude, hours, I'm like, oh, do not yeah. talk to me. Right? Like, I think we kind of overlook how important sleep is. We do. Um, I will say this. Um, I remember earlier in my um, career, one of the guys had just retired and he was at a busy station his entire career. And I was like, why did you stay here? And I, and for him, it was about, you know, like, that wasn't just a busy station. He was with that crew for the better part of the decade. So they wow. had connected on a f- different kind of family level that, yeah, it's it was impressive. But he came by the station for a visit and he had just retired like a month ago. I was like, well, what you been doing? And he was like, I've been sleeping. Like, I've been catching up on my sleep. And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, went and got a sleep study done, found out a handful of uh, issues, got the necessary equipment to fix that. But he was like, I will sleep 14 hours a day to catch up. He was like, well, I was like, wow. He was like, no, it's not going to be that forever. But that's that was just what he shared with me. And I remember going, uh-oh. <laughs> okay pay attention to that that's a that's a red flag <laughs> you know this is what, I mean? what i'm looking forward to yeah so yeah absolutely yeah I, I, you're right i think that i think in the last few years sleep studies enough sleep studies have been done to show that that is one of our you know that's biggest big, and most important yeah. things oh yeah that, that's absolutely one of those things that like if i was going to let, let the next generation know hey man make sure you're sleeping Right. And how do you get sleep when you're running 48s? You know, that's so hard. How do you catch up if you're not just sleeping the whole day you're off? Yeah, I I really don't have an answer to it. I can tell you that my functionality can exist. Like I'm I'm a a great, I've developed the skill of power napping. Like if I can close my eyes for five minutes, I can be functional. Yeah. Um, I could tell you that earlier in my career when I was chronically sleep deprived at some of the busier station, even in my driver years, I was able to gosh, this is, might sound off, but this is truth. Um, I was able to drive to the call. If it was a bad trauma patient, render care, get the patient to the hospital, do patient turnover, do all those things, and then get to the fresh air outside in the bay and be like, oh, I just woke up. 
<laughs> like, oh, yeah. oh okay okay like everything became that level of muscle men- memory yeah but realizing like okay like okay now you got your compromise let your officer know like hey like i think i just slept through this call or you know or just making sure that you're getting that rest on the days off i think that's hugely important so, are your so, are the officers able to drive if the driver yeah. just feels okay yeah, that's yeah, good yeah. to know and that's one of those um like fortunately i don't have to worry about that now um like being at the slower station but paying attention to like are you tired like hey what's going yeah. on you good okay you know or at least maybe that gut check or uh roll down your window i don't care if i'm cold just roll down your window so we don't die yeah you know? wake up, wake up. <laughs> so. and you know you've had a long day when you've driven home and didn't have music on the whole ride oh, yeah. like you're just not you're just i call it zombie one goal mode is getting there yeah, yeah i call it zombie mode like and i think like uh i've been able to communicate with my wife like i'm in zombie mode okay yeah so you, those are my my uh my red flag term she's like oh okay all right all right and then um you know and then i'm hitting my wall okay that means that i'm going to bed in the next five minutes regardless if it's four o'clock in the afternoon yeah (laughs) or or whatever it is you know my wife can tell like if i'm if i'm getting into a certain position she's like i'll see you in a few hours like (laughs) i know you're not going to move for the next several hours but i'll keep checking on you to make sure you're breathing okay there you go that's always good (laughs) don't let me stop breathing please but yeah that's so funny (laughs) so if if you could go back and do it all over again would you continue in medicine uh continue on from this profession no you wouldn't. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. Um, what would you do? Well, hold up. Hang on. Let me make sure I'm understanding your question. Are you saying that I would continue on to pr- go further in medicine? Like, if you or... could go back to day one, would, would you I get back again? into medicine? Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. That that answers unequivocally yes. Absolutely. Sorry, I thought you meant, like, would you go on to, like, become a PA or something? My apologies. No, I mean, you're already a nurse and a medic, no, dude. You've got the best of both worlds yeah, there. <laughs> like, honestly, yeah. I'm just a top-seated amateur is what I call myself. But, <laughs> um, I, absolutely, yes. Um, you know, a lot of reason why I found myself in nursing schools because I was after job satisfaction but what I learned was to adopt this different set of eyes and it actually helped me in my paramedic profession to see what happens after um when it comes to just telling myself whether or not I would do it again or not absolutely there's a lot of job satisfaction or I get a lot of job satisfaction not just from running calls but from when I operate with a team of guys that are cohesive like it's almost magical for me and every time it happens on a high intensity call which we know that they come few and far in between it's one of those things that i just feel thankful for like and yeah 24 23 24 years later i'm like oh this that was cool you know and now that my daughter's getting into her teenage years she asked me those questions and i and those, those are the things i get to share with her so I'm, I'm still excited to go to work yeah i'm still and i would definitely do it all over again you know so Absolutely. what would you what would you tell your daughter if she told you she wanted to get in the fire department i would clearly be supportive help her prepare in any way possible you know whether it becomes fitness or just you know mental tenacity you know because a lot of this stuff that we uh at least with our academy it's very strenuous and it was uh, a welcomed uh I was excited about it when I was, I was happy to be yelled at. I don't know. (laughs) It probably has to do with uh, coming from a military background and upbringing because that's where, that was how I was raised. So it was like being at home. So I would uh, (laughs) definitely help her in any way possible. And, you know, and just get her to recognize like job satisfaction isn't going to be running into a burning building all the time. And those happen few and far in between. But if you're making grandma laugh while she's on the floor, 
and you're helping her in that moment, it's probably going to mean a lot more to someone in those moments, a lot more to that family, a lot more to that person. And those are the things I share with her. And now that she's old enough, I think she's starting to get it. So it's pretty cool. And we've talked a lot about your, your medical side, right? But you are a firefighter. Is that still something that you look forward to doing also? Yeah. When, when we have those events, whether it be a structure fire or a wildland fire or something, it's such a coordinated effort. And I think that, you know, we have a kind of a pre, we have our standard operation guidelines um, called SOGs that are similar to, to protocols and different conditions exist for a single family structure, whether it's a one story or two story or an apartment building or an industrial building. And I think there is a great um, art to firefighting and coordinating resources mm-hmm. and making assignments and having had to go in as on the rescue side as a rescue officer, our primary task is going to be search and rescue. But having a little bit of experience into an upgraded captain position, sitting in the command seat and everybody asking you, what do we, what do you want us to do? What is our assignment? And then doing that in a coordinated effort that's also satisfying too you know don't get me wrong i like to go into a burning building and pull somebody out i if if i if you don't grab the hose i will yeah but um you know there is uh there's just different types of job satisfactions that i've been fortunate to see throughout my career so yeah sure did you ever work on on the engine yeah, yeah. Or, um, uh, my probationary year, um, and actually the year I went to nursing school, I was assigned to a ladder. So yeah, I, I got that experience, but you know we're shorthanded on the medic side. So as soon as that driver promotion became available, that's kind of what I was forced into. Now, I think that in the future, I will be able to um, move off the rescue with a promotion that should be happening, but we'll see what happens. Like, you know, we're not going to count our eggs before they hatch. Sure. So, yeah. so is that something that'll put you more into, because uh, you'll still do EMS, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, all the all the fire trucks will still respond yeah. out depending on how, how many vehicles are available or whatever. But uh, is that going to take you a little further away from the medical side? Uh, I think so, yes. Um, but to me, that's kind of going to be refreshing because it'll be a new chapter. Sure. And I'm excited about it. Um, new challenges. I'm excited about new challenges all the time. And like I said, I'm always trying to evolve. So that's one of those things that I'm looking forward to. And and yeah, essentially, in our department, once you promote past the rank of lieutenant, um, they, that does put you in a different capacity. But the good part of uh, after lieutenant comes captain and the good part about being a captain from my point of view is that it's not the point that you're in charge of everybody I haven't I'm not interested in that I'm interested in helping to facilitate growth but the captain should be able to do everybody's job yes and that's really the appeal and guide guys on you know what needs to be done and that sort of thing so that's really the like you know in my department technically it's a bit of a pay cut but it's never been about money for me, so I'm okay with it. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's probably one of my favorite parts, too. I did tactical EMS for a little bit, and when we responded, we responded anywhere across the state. Oh, wow. So, I didn't know that. Yeah, so you had to you had to familiar, familiarize yourself with the EMS systems in the locations that you were going to, as well as the, you know, having, being able to find which hospital you would transport to if you had to transport, which ambulances you would use. Um, If the state helicopter could get out there faster, then you could use them and set up landing zones. Like you were, you were doing all of this um, in the position that I worked because we were there for the guys, right? We were there for the team. We weren't there for patient care 
on that's the other side. That's a different capacity. Yeah, I have to supplement having an experience. That sounds but really I, fun. And yeah, cool. it was fun. It was a lot of fun. I, you know, I didn't have a lot of uh, calls doing that one, but it the thinking about it and preparing for it and the training that we got out of it. Like we did a lot of bomb squad training and we did a lot of the canine training because we got to work with the canines. And oh, really cool. That was a really exciting oh, few yeah, years for me. That's good. Wow, I didn't know that about you. <laughs> yeah, Interesting. Yeah, cool. it, was, it was a lot of fun. They still do the team. I don't know to what capacity that they're they're currently working at, but it was a really neat. Was that through the state? It or was do you know? through... Or, I mean, like, of course you know, but I mean, like... Yeah, well, no, like... It was, we worked with the state tactical team. Oh, okay, okay. But we were through um, a local facility here. Okay, all right. Yeah, you have to... I'll... Yeah. I want to hear more about that. <laughs> I'll get it to you. I'll get it to you. <laughs> right on. All right, well, I just want to say thank you so much for coming out and for sharing all of these great stories, the good, the bad, and the funny. It has been a really good interview today. Thank you. Um, you're doing great work, Sam. Like, I can't say enough about you. Um, and thank you. Like, like it's an honor to be able to share my stories with everybody. So thank you for having me. I, yeah. I appreciate no, it. No, thank you so much. And keep sharing. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for listening. Before we wrap up, we have a few important announcements to share with you. Firstly, we're excited to announce the launch of our brand new 911 Nonsense Facebook group page. It's a community where everyone can go to connect, share ideas, discuss topics from the show, and get all of the most recent updates about the podcast. We'd love to have you join us and be part of the conversation. Next, we want to ask you to rate and review our podcast on your preferred platform. Your feedback means the world to us and helps us reach a wider audience. By rating and reviewing the show, you'll be supporting us in a big way and helping others discover 911 nonsense. If you enjoy what we do and would like to support the podcast even further, we have a few options available. You can visit samspursuit.com to find the links to our 911 nonsense merch page and our recently released noon gear page. Every contribution, no matter the size, goes a long way in helping us continue to better the podcast. We know that not everyone is comfortable being on the podcast, but we still want to hear your stories and experiences. If you have a compelling story and would like to share it to be read by me in a future episode, please reach out to us via email at 911nonsense at gmail.com or through our website's contact section. If you choose to be anonymous, we'll make sure to respect your privacy while sharing your story in a way that resonates with our audience. Thank you again for tuning in. We truly appreciate your support and look forward to bringing you more engaging content in the future. See you next week.